got Runo in the back. She's setting up the PowerPoint. I couldn't get it connected from over this side, so she actually went to the back. So <laughs> thank God for Runo. She's, she's still setting up, though. But while she's setting up, I'll, I'll start. Um, we'll tell a little story. There's a, it was a missionary to India. His name was David Morris, and he had a really good friend named Rambau. And he would go and spend the evenings with Rambau in his cabin and sharing the gospel with him. Rambau used to very much enjoy hearing the stories from the Bible, hearing the gospel message. But whenever it would come to, um, David Morse would invite Rambau to receive the, the message of Jesus and, and believe in and commit his life to, to the Lord. Rambau would say, no. He said, your Christian way to God is too easy for me. I can't accept it. It would be like a beggar coming to God. He says, I may be proud, but I want to deserve, I want to earn my place in heaven. So I'm going to work for it. And so no matter what David Moore said, he couldn't convince him. But then one day, Rambau came and knocked on the door. He said, come in, come in, come in my friend. And this uh, friend of his was a pearl diver. And he says, he says, no, and he says, I want you to come with me to my house. I have something to show you. And so he went, and along the way, Rambo said, in a week's time, I'm going to start working for my place in heaven. I'm leaving for Delhi, and I'm going there on my knees. He said, don't do it. Don't do it, Rambo. He said, you'll, you'll be, your knees will wear out. You'll get infected. You'll probably die along the way. It's, it's 900 miles from here to there. He said, no, I must go to Delhi, and I'll be rewarded for it. The suffering will be sweet, for it will purchase heaven for me. Rambo, my friend, you can't. How can I bear to let you do this? But the old man couldn't be moved. He said, you're my dearest friend on earth, Sahib Morse. Through all these years, you've stood by me in sickness and want, and you've sometimes been my only friend, but even you cannot turn me away from my desire to purchase eternal bliss. I must go to Delhi. Then Rambo left the room and came back with a special box. He said, I've had this box for years, and I keep only one thing in it. Now I will tell you about it, Sahib Morse. Once, I had a son. You never told me you had a son. No, Sahib, I couldn't. Now I must tell you, for soon I will leave, and who knows whether I will ever return. My son was a diver, too. He was the best pearl diver on the coasts of India. What joy he brought to me. But as you know, all the pearls have some sort of blemish. One day, though, as he was diving, he found the perfect pearl. It was huge. It was beautiful. But sadly, by the time he got it, it was too late. He, when he came up to the shore, he had been under water too long, and he died shortly after. All these years, I've kept this pearl, but now I'm going, not to return. And to you, my best friend, I'm giving this pearl. And David Morse was spirit speechless, and he said, Rambo, what a pearl. But then suddenly he got an idea. He said, Rambo, this is a wonderful pearl. I want to buy it from you. I'll give you $10,000 for it. 
Sahib, what do you mean? Well, I'll give you 15,000 or more. If it takes more, I'll work for it. Sahib, said Rambal, stiffening his whole body. This pearl is beyond price. No man in the world would have enough money to pay for it. I will not sell it to you. You can only have it as a gift. No, Rambo. I cannot accept that. As much as I want the pearl, I cannot accept it that way. Perhaps I'm proud, and that's too easy. I must pay for it or work for it. The pearl diver was stunned. You don't understand at all, Sahib. Don't you see? My only son gave his life to get this pearl. I wouldn't sell it for any money. It's worth the lifeblood of my son. I cannot sell this, but I can give it to you. Just accept it in a token, as a token of the love I bear for you. Finally, David Morris choked up in tears and he said, Rambo, don't you see? My words are just what you have been saying to God all this time. Slowly, the diver began to understand. Morse continued, God is offering you the free gift of salvation. It's so great and priceless that no man on earth could buy it. Millions of dollars are too little. No man on earth could earn it. His life would be a million years too short. No man is good enough to deserve it. It costs God the lifeblood of his only son to make the entrance into heaven for you. All you can do is accept it as a token of God's love for you, a sinner. And finally, Rambau understood, and he believed in Jesus, gave his life to the Lord. I'm not sure if my clicker is going to work today because it re- relies on a little optical signal, and there's. Can, does it work? Okay. No, it doesn't work. Okay, but anyway, I'll uh, give Runo the the cues when it's time to move forward. So we're going to be reading a lot from the scriptures today. Um, Does everybody have a Bible? If you don't, I think the ushers already passed out Bibles. But if you need one, um, you can raise your hand and they'll bring them. So... Since I'm going to be reading a large amount of scripture, we're going to be looking at mainly the, the main point of what Paul's trying to say here. And we're going to be reading for his mood and for his emotion, how he feels and why he feels the way he does. This passage is a particularly difficult one, um, but Paul is not afraid to wrestle with the truth, even though it's hard. And um, and last week, I remember at Nick's outline, he said, uh, it said at the top, open my heart was one of the points, and I think that's going to be our focus today. So going to the next page. Yeah. Um, When I was... uh, an undergrad, when I was a, fr- a freshman in college, I, it's the first time I really read through the book of Romans seriously and um, understood the implications of what it was saying. I spent about a month in the evenings 
reading through about a, um, maybe between a half hour to an hour every night. When I got to Romans 9 and 10, I, I got stuck and I stopped and I spent a full week just on those two chapters because I was wrestling with, is there any way to understand this differently from what it says? I really wanted to interpret it away or get it to go away because I didn't want to believe. Um, go ahead, click the next point, which you can go ahead and click, Runo. Or maybe it's stuck. <laughs> but, you know, there's things there that are, are really challenging. Like it says, God kept some people just for the purpose of his wrath. And how can that be true? If God is loving and he cares for us, you know, I, I, what I'm going to cover, let me just kind of outline it. I've, you've got the outline in your handout, but salvation is a, a gift from God. That's why we started off with that story about the pearl diver, because that can only be given as a gift. And second thing is it's it's a kind of a binary thing. You're either with God or you're not. There's no in-between ground. And Jesus is the only way to God. Even though um, Paul would have liked the Jewish people that he was preaching to, to all believe, a lot of them didn't. And so it saddened him and sadness about lost people is God's gift to motivate us to pray for them and to tell them to share the gospel with them. Um, so if we can go on to the next page, it would be great because I've got a few things to say. Oh, okay, now we're getting there. One more click. Okay, that's what we're going to cover. The title of the message is Anguish Over the Lost. You can see we're going to cover most of chapter 9 in Romans and a little bit in chapter 10. You can go to the next page. There we go. Um, so there's, um, you know, I've, I've had uh, uh, some Mormon people come to our door recently, and they've come knock on the door, and I spent a little bit of time to listen to what they believe, and also, of course, to share the gospel with them. One of the things that they told me is they have this other level of heaven that just about everybody can get into. It's a pretty good place. And everybody except the murderers and the thieves can go there. It sounds really nice, but it's also wishful thinking. You can tell this is just an invention of man. This isn't true. So what we're going to read here is a little bit challenging. Um, Runo, you can go ahead and click. God will judge... Second, Jesus is the only way, and apart from Jesus, people will face judgment on their own. Before we read the text, though, I wanted to emphasize, God is the one who's the judge, not us. So if we were to say that from our own authority, it would be, it'd be horrible. This is not something we can claim for ourselves. So we have to keep that in mind in order to understand this text. You can go ahead and click to the next page. Romans 9, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They're Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring will be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Next page. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Next one. So we jump to verse 20. Verse 20 says, He will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath, and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Okay, in the next page. Can jump to, yeah, there we go. And jump to verse 30. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Okay. Let's see if it doesn't work there either. 
go to the next page and click once more. One of the key messages of this passage is salvation is a gift. You couldn't buy it. In fact, the more valuable the gift is, the more of an insult it is to the giver to say, no, I don't want it. I'm going to go earn it by myself. God gave the life of his own son for us. We can't spurn that and look away and say, I'm just going to go and make my own way to God. Uh, yes, so there's this little picture here on the, on the upper down, bottom right. Um, this is a very bad <laughs> drawing, but I just wanted to show you anybody can do this, right? You can take a piece of scratch paper and, and show this. But you, what you see is there's a cart and there's a horse. I have to explain it because the art is bad. But, you know, today we run into people all the time, just like that pearl diver, just like um, the Jewish people that Paul was preaching to. We run into people all the time who believe they have to do something to get to God. And what they're doing is they're putting the cart before the horse. They want to do good works, and then that, they want that to get them to God, but that's not how it works. Because God has already done what's needed for us to get to himself. He sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. So the, the faith has to come first. We have to put our trust in Jesus. We look to Jesus and he paid for us, and he makes the way so we can have relationship with God. And because we have relationship with God and we love him, then we want to do what's right. And that leads us to do good works. So that's how the, the works get done. You have to have the faith in God, and that drives us to do the works. Otherwise, there's no engine, right? You're going to end up with the cart just sitting there. And that's where a lot of people are. I talk to a lot of... Um, uh, predominantly uh, Catholic people from Mexico, when I talk to them and I ask them, what will happen to you when you die? Are you going to go to heaven? Usually the answer they give is, I hope so. They don't say, I know where I'm going to be. They say, I hope so. Why do they say, I hope so? Because if you ask them another question, well, on what basis do you think you can get to God? They'll say, well, I have to work hard, do good things, be a nice person, love my family, go to church. If that's what they put their hope in, they're in the same position as Paul's Jewish neighbors. That's not, that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is that God already did what we need. Jesus already did it. We trust in him. It's free. It's a gift. We can't spurn the gift and go earn it. I went to a, a, a funeral a couple of weeks back, and this was a very nice gentleman who passed away. Um, before he died, um, one, one of my colleagues at work was a good friend of his. He came around with his cell phone, and he said, I want to take videos so you can leave, give him a message. I'll take it to him in the hospital. So my friend, he came to me and he asked, can I, can I get a message from you? I said, sure. So I told him this message because I heard also that he was Catholic. I said, 
don't worry about whether you're going to be with God in heaven. When the end comes, trust in Jesus. Just trust in Jesus. He's done everything that you need. Don't try to think that you have to do something. And he was encouraged by that. So when, when my friend came back, he told me he was really encouraged. He, he um, appreciated that message. Then after he passed away, we went to the funeral. I drove there with another colleague of mine. It was a lady. We, we drove up um, from nearby here. We drove up to uh, Sunnyvale. And uh, on the way back home, after, or not on the way back to work after the funeral, I asked her the same question. I said, you know, there was a guy, actually it was the brother of the man who passed. Remember he said, kind of half-joking, he said, my brother was a really super nice guy. I know he's going to be in heaven, but I'm not so sure about myself. And I said, what about you? When that time comes, what's going to happen? And she said, well, I hope I'll go to heaven. Same answer. So I told her what I had told him on uh, on the video and that, you know, Jesus paid for our sins already. We don't need to do anything that God loves us. And then when we have that relationship established already, then that motivates us to do good works. And she cried because she was really touched by that. So this is the gospel message that we're bringing. Now, if you look at the last part here, Paul was really heartbroken over the Jewish people who were not understanding this really key point. But he points out that God chose some and not others. Just the fact that they were physically descended from Abraham didn't guarantee that they would know God. And he says, even the Old Testament, it was clear, if you go through the whole Old Testament, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. God chose Isaac, but not Ishmael. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. God chose Jacob, but not Esau. So not everybody who was descended from Abraham was a child of Abraham, but only those who, who went through, if you trace through the line of the promise in, in the book of Genesis, you see that. So Paul wished that he could save them, but he knew that wasn't going to happen just based on his wishful thinking. You can go to the next page. Yeah, go on. Uh, there we go. Yeah, so once again, you know, after reading the passage, it becomes very super clear. There will be judgment. Jesus is the only way to, um, to be saved. And apart from him, we're relying on ourselves. And if we rely on ourselves, we'll fall short. And this makes sense because God does according to who he is. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. And no sinful man or woman can go in front of God and live. God's not being vindictive. He doesn't want to judge people. God loves people. But that is who he is. It's like if you wanted him to be different, it would be like asking a leopard to change its spots. God is holy. 
and God has to have justice. There is no way to go to God except for the sacrifice of Jesus to cover for us so that we have a way to get to God. In order for people to understand the holiness of God, oftentimes it's helpful for us to take them through the Old Testament, work from the creation to, to Christ. I mean, some people, they already know something, they have some religious background, they may know this already. But for a lot of people that we run into, they don't know anything about God or about Jesus. You have to start from the beginning. Tell them about the creation, that God's created the world. It may take 10 or 20 weeks to get there. And all the while, we can be sharing the gospel along the way. You know, I think about my, my kids, the way they grew up, right? When, I, when they were born, from the time they were babies, we started reading Bible stories to them. We prayed for them even before they were born. And so when they were three or four, they started to get old enough to really understand the Bible itself. So we read to them from the NIRV. It's a New International Reader's Version. It's basically like the NIV Bible, except that it takes the sentences and breaks them up into short, choppy sentences. The kids can really understand, even when they're three or four years old. So we started reading the actual Bible to them. And I was reading them every night before they went to bed a chapter or two from the Bible. And I would just ask simple questions. Did you understand what it said? Did you have any questions? Was there something that confused you? And what did you think about that? Just let them talk. And that was how they were discipled for about 10 years until they became teenagers. They started to take over and they read the Bible on their own from then on. They didn't need me. But that's sometimes what's necessary because if you take people through the Old Testament, they see the sacrificial system. They see the glory of God coming into the temple. They see that even you know, somebody who would touch the ark of God, where God's presence was, if they did it and it wasn't authorized, they would die because God is holy and he can only be approached through holiness. All right, next page. Here we, uh, we're going to continue on in Romans 10 because it goes along the same lines. <clears throat> you can see Paul's emotion still here. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. So child, one, one by one, one by one. Let's go back up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a chain that Paul describes here. A chain of salvation. He described, actually, he takes it in reverse order. I'm going to follow it in chronological order. So first, believers are sent with the gospel message. Second, they preach the gospel message. Third, people hear the gospel message. And finally, people believe and they're saved. And if any link in that chain is broken, people are not going to be saved and they're left to perish in their own sins. Paul says his fellow Jewish people, they heard the message. But the chain was broken at the last point. They didn't believe. It's only through the gospel that people can be saved. And that's this exclusivity, the fact that people need Jesus to come to God, is a hard point for people to accept. So I um, brought in some of the experts who've spent time in front of large audiences, and they've dealt with these questions over and over again. Robbie Zacharias is a good one. He doesn't compromise on this point. So if I can go to the first bullet. Robbie says, all religions have points of exclusivity. For example, he says, the Buddhists reject the caste system. Buddhists don't believe in the caste system that the Hindus believe in. And by the way, the Sikhs don't believe in the caste system either. We know that the Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. They think somebody else was put in his place. And why is that? Because they respect Jesus as a prophet. And they'll tell you that how could God allow his prophet to suffer such humiliation? The shame of the cross is the point of the cross. Jesus took the shame and the horror of our sin, how terrible that is. And it went on display for all the world to see when he suffered that death on the cross. That's the whole point. They missed it. I've um, been praying for some of our neighbors who are Sikhs. And the Lord's blessed us. to. We ran into uh, an older Sikh gentleman, very nice guy. And he enjoys to talk about Religion, his faith. He wants to tell me I get to share with him. So I'm reading the Bible to him as we walk around the neighborhood, and he's sharing with me. He has some wonderful things, just like Paul said about the Jews. They had the prophets. They had the message of the Old Testament. They even had the descent of Jesus coming through them. But they still didn't have the main point. The Sikhs have this wonderful view of love. They say, well, 
We just need to grow in our love for other people to see God in them. And that way they can, you know, we, we can love everybody, even the bad people. We have to see God in them. Now, this is really a good thing. It's wonderful that they believe in love. And they have a concept of being united with God, just like we do through the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, how do they get there? There's no sacrifice to pay for our sins for us to get to God in their religion. And so they're left with relying on themselves to work hard to try to become better at recognizing God and other people and to get to be unified with God. That doesn't bring them to God. Only Jesus can get us to God. Only Jesus can do it. So there are differences. Secondly, This is not Ravi Zacharias's point, this is mine. What if we took all the truth claims that people made in engineering and, and accepted those? A lot of us work for engineering companies here, right? Imagine you had a meeting and everything everybody said, you say, yeah, let's do that. Let's put that in our product. Would anything work? Would we have any working hardware or software? No, everything would be a disaster. Well, that's why we have our meetings. There's all these heated discussions about what is right and what's not right? How do we interpret the data? Because we want to get it right because we want our product to work. Well, if that's true in the physical world, why wouldn't it be true in the spiritual realm? There are real objective truths. Finally, the next one, uh, Ravi Zacharias likes to tell a joke. He says, even in India, we look both ways before we cross the street because it's me or the bus. It can't be both. Right. In other words, there is that law of non-contradiction. I can't be in the same place as the bus at the same time. And then the last point is, uh, there's another joke by one of his colleagues. He says, if you take Christ out of Christian, you're left with the letters I-A-N, and Ian can't help you. <laughs> that means our elder, he, yeah, that's okay. He's not here. I didn't see him today. Otherwise, I'd say that. Okay, next. Yeah. The Bible talks about Jesus being the only way all the time. Everywhere we see a concise summary of the gospel, Jesus is the only way is emphasized there. In one way or the other, once you were in darkness, now you're in light. There's a few examples given here. I'm just going to focus on the first one. Let's take a look at the next page, John 3.16. John 3.16 to 18, hopefully you know John 3.16, and I encourage everybody to memorize that. It's a really wonderful short summary of the gospel. But let's read it in context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So you see Paul's I'm sorry, John's point here. 
Uh, we keep stay on that for a little bit. Go back, yeah. See John's point here that if we believe in Jesus, we're saved from our sins. But if we don't believe, then we're still where we started. And the starting point for all of us is that we were not holy and we were separated from God. So we stood condemned until we believed, then we're saved. Jonathan Edwards puts it really vividly, and so I want to read a quote from him. He says, you imagine that God is holding you in his hand by his mercy over the bottomless pit of hell. And by his mercy, he keeps you out of that, not to let you fall. If God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. So how should we respond? We can go to the next page. The first one, Paul really grieves over the, the lost. The, the Jewish people who didn't believe, it broke his heart. And when we see our neighbors and our friends, colleagues, family members, and they don't believe, it should break our hearts too. It breaks God's heart. God cares more than we do. God doesn't want people to die and go to hell. He wants people to live. He wants people to have eternal life. So he would rather that they repent from their sins and turn and follow Jesus. And the goal of our life as Christians is not to be happy. Sometimes it's appropriate for us to be sad. Go to the next page. I mean, the next click. The second thing is to pray like Paul. You remember, pray, Paul prayed for the Jewish people. Because the, the grief that we bear, if we imagine what it's like to spend eternity apart from God, that's a horrible thing. It's too much for us to bear. God gives that burden to us in order that we give it back to him. We have to give it back to him and, and pray. That's what Hudson Taylor did. Hudson Taylor went to China in the mid-1800s. He went to. He noticed that all the Christians were clustered, all the missionaries were clustered in the big cities on the coast. And so he made an excursion from Shanghai. He went upriver to the inland, and he saw the vast darkness and the, and the vast number of people who had never heard about Jesus and were perishing. It, was, it tore him apart. But he had health problems. He had to go back to England. He went back to England. One day he was worshiping in a church located on the beach. And in the church they were praising God and it was a glorious thing. But his heart was so broken that he couldn't stand to be in the midst of that gloriousness when he knew about the millions that were dying apart from Christ over there. So he walked out from the church and he began to pray. And as he walked on the beach, 
God gave him the burden to pray for one missionary couple to go to every province in China all throughout the, the nation. And that was how China Inland Mission was born. And from that, hundreds of thousands were saved in the next number of years until 1949 when the missionaries were all kicked out from China. But that didn't stop the gospel. Now there are close to 100 million believers in China. All began because God put on one man's heart to pray. When we think about a lot of what Paul's saying here about predestination, it sounds like it's it's something that's hard we have to wrestle with. How can God make these predetermined things? There's another way to look at it, and this is the way I would see it. First of all, the fact that God knows what will happen and God is in control should give us comfort. I would much rather that God be in control than me because I trust him. God has the power to save. And he loves. He loves. And when we pray and we call out to God, he cares. He's listening. He cares for those people that we pray for more than we do, so why wouldn't he listen? And he does. That's why Paul calls out to God. We knew a man who didn't want to have children because he was afraid that his children wouldn't be chosen by God. That's not the right way to look at it. We know that God is in control, so he has power. And we know that God loves us, so he cares, and we trust him. Then that's the way to look at predestination. And the third is to, to preach like Paul. There's a um, disciple make a disciple maker and trainer. His name is Curtis Sargent. He uses an illustration of a three-legged stool. And he says our faith walk is kind of like a three-legged stool. On one side, you have the one leg is knowledge. We study the Bible. We want to learn more. Another leg is obedience. We do what we know. So we study it. We do what we know. And the third one is to share what we know, to share it with others. And if any of those becomes less than the others, the stool becomes imbalanced and starts to wobble. All of that stems from who we are in Christ. It starts with who God is in his holiness and what he's done in giving us his son. And then that translates into who we are in Christ and then what we do in Christ. Okay, next one. Paul did every right thing to get the word out. I mean every right thing because he always does God's work in God's way. He's not going to go about doing things unethical or trying to force people. So he prayed desperately. 
we study the word, we study the Bible, we also learn from other people who are doing ministry successfully. We want to learn from them. We're desperate to, to do what God wants us to do. And then we need to adapt how we approach things. For example, here in California, I, you know, discovered that my enthusiasm can be a little put off for some people. <laughs> I get excited about my faith. I want to tell people. But if I'm too excited, then I trigger a reaction in people. They start to think about those phone calls they get every day. Their phone's ringing off the hook with the marketers. And the people are, it's, it's a fake enthusiasm. It's not the real thing. But how can people distinguish between the fake one and the real one? Because they hear the fake one so often. So I have to hold myself back a little bit and wait and ask questions and listen to where people are coming from and hear their hearts first before I share what I'm thinking. I need to learn from Jesus how he used parables and stories to get his message across. Because people may be hard of heart, but sometimes if they have a little bit of time to think, we give them some space, it might be better for them. Depends on the person. Everybody's different. So, yeah, and I'm love and serve both the body and soul. The point I'm making there is God gives us love for the whole person, not just their soul, but everything about them. So if they have needs, we care for them. A lot of times, especially if that's in a community setting, that can open people up so that they're more willing to hear the gospel message that we have. So that can be another tool for us. The next page. So why does it matter that we understand this message? Um, you know, this seems like, oh, this is your own Christian argument, is sort of a, uh, a little nit, but this is an important thing. The motivation here we've been talking about is Love. If we love our neighbor and we know that they're perishing without Christ, then we care about them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to share the gospel with them if we can, as long as they're willing to hear. The other motivation is to glorify God. Both of those are very strong all throughout the scripture. The next uh, bullet. The other thing is our hearts. God said, I'm going to take away your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That's in Ezekiel. God wants us to have soft hearts. Um, I was listening to Tim Keller talk about Jonathan Edwards, and he said, the head and the heart are not two separate things in the Christian worldview. The head... The heart, the hands. Remember that last week Nick was talking about the DNA and we had the head, the heart, the hands. We're all one. My head, my heart, my hands, they all do the same thing. They work together in concert. So what I believe will drive how I feel and it will drive what I do. If I really believe it. Once... Um, I went to training for managers, and the trainer said, emotion is bad. 
I was so shocked. I couldn't help myself. I spoke up. I said, emotion's not bad. It's only bad if it leads us to do the wrong thing. Right? Emotion is, that's the way we're made as human beings. We're emotional. It's not bad to be emotional. It's bad if our emotion leads us to sin. And so we, we understand God has given us emotion as a gift. It's good for us sometimes to feel sorrow. It's good for us to be joyful. God has all the range of emotion. He's joyful when he thinks of his children worshiping him. He's sad and he grieves when people sin. So it's expected, I think, we should have the same sort of range of emotions. God wants us to have a soft heart. How many of you desire that some of your family members would believe in God? Yeah. Doesn't it break your heart when you think about them? Wouldn't you just, if you could, take your, your mind and your heart and rip it out and give it to them and give them a transplant if you could? But it doesn't work that way, right? Sometimes I get discouraged because I get rejected again and again. Tell people about Jesus, they're not interested. They're kind of polite, but, you know, that's your thing. If that happens over and over again, we can get discouraged. But, you know, if God has put in us compassion and love in our hearts, then we won't give up. Because Christ's love compels us. So no matter what, I, I want to I give up, but I can't give up. And I keep coming back and getting up and, and go out again because Christ's love compels us. And I need to prioritize my time, too. So I get time with people who don't know the Lord yet. If I spend all my time with all of you, I won't have time for them. So I need to balance myself. And God wants fruit, the last point, from all of us. I used to think, well, the fact that Jesus is the only way, maybe only leaders need to understand that. But no, that's, that's a message for all of us because God gave us the command, love your neighbor. That's for everybody. If we love our neighbor, then we're going to pray for them and share the good news with them because we care about them because we know what's their destiny if they don't believe. So... That brings us to the last question. Do we really believe? Is that deep in our heart? Do we believe that judgment is integral to God, who he is? If we don't act on what we believe, then we're going to be leaving people to die in their sins. Is that what we want? I had one last illustration. If you remember back in the 80s, there was a space shuttle called the Challenger. And the Challenger uh, had a defect in its design that the O-rings would tend to freeze up or would tend to um, leak. So it went out one year and they, they recovered the parts, you know, after the parts from the shuttle went back down, they would recover the parts and analyze to see if everything was safe. And they found out that the O-rings had been breached 
both the inner and the outer O-ring, they realized that if that had continued for another three-tenths of a second, that that shuttle would have blown apart and all the people would have been killed. Then, actually, there was one of the astronauts who was on board. He did a painting, and he called it three-tenths of a second, where he showed the hands of God upholding that shuttle, and he wanted his grandchildren to know that God was looking after him. But unfortunately, several months later, it was a cold winter day in Florida, and the engineers were saying, there's a high risk of launching this thing if it's hot, I mean if it's cold, if the weather is cold, because the O-rings will be stiff, and that leak that happened before is going to get worse. So the management and the engineers, they were discussing, engineers got really heated. In fact, afterwards when they um, discussed what had happened, the, the, one of the engineers said, I was told I was yelling at them. He said he didn't even know he was yelling at them, but it's, he was really emotional about this. But the management was under pressure to keep their schedule. And so they, they kept their schedule, and they said, well, we'll take the risk, we'll, we'll make the launch. They made the launch, the O-rings gave out, and the shuttle was blown apart in the air, went down, the people, seven people on board all died. That wasn't criminal negligence on the part of the management. It was they were tuning out what they didn't want to hear. And there are some truths for us in the scripture that are things that we don't like to hear. And if we tune it out, we don't pay attention to it, we don't want to hear it, there will be consequences for that too. Because salvation is a matter of life and death. That's what the Bible teaches. If we really, really believe that, then it will change us in our heart. It will change everything. Father, this has been a very challenging message for us. It's challenging for me. I pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the joy of being in your presence and the sorrow of knowing what it means to be lost for the people we know around us. Father, give us hearts of compassion, soft hearts, hearts of love. Help us, Lord, to be motivated to do your will, to care, to pray, and to share. And let your will be done, Lord, in our lives. Let us be fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen.